Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. Good morning. It is good to be back with you today. I don't, I'm not sure when it was I was here last. Um, it's been a while though, as we know, because um, last time I wasn't wearing a mask. Um, what I am bringing this morning is uh, one sermon out of a series. And so we at, at my church currently, um, a number of us are in a sermon rotation on the book of Proverbs. All right. So we have been talking about Proverbs and really the practical nature of this book and the challenging nature of this book. And after going through a number of introductory sermons that I don't have time to do today, um, what we're doing now is choosing topics out of the book of Proverbs and reflecting on them for what they have for us today. And so the topic, and this is intentionally a topical study, it is on the, the, the topic of speech, that is, what is coming out of our mouth. And I hope, as you were just listening to um, the reading of James, uh, just how strongly James there says, and those strong words he has about our speech and our tongue, as just a kind of a wake-up to us to, um, to pay attention. Um, the book of Proverbs has so much to say about this. Let me open us in prayer, and then we're going to dig in. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word, and I thank you for each one here and each one listening to your word this morning, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would be taking these things, applying them to our lives as we understand the significance of these teachings and how, how precious our words are in your sight and how valuable and important they are, and I just pray that you would be working in our hearts to help us um, even to see where our speech could be, could be better and purer, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So this, this one topic on speech, and I'm going to start in the Proverbs 25 passage that we read earlier, if you want to turn there, and then I will, I'll apologize, I'm going to be all over the place, and so I'm going to be reading various Proverbs, because in the book of Proverbs, it's not like they're all neatly organized into topics. We don't have, I can't just say, oh, we're going to do this chapter and it's all on this topic. And that's kind of the nature of Proverbs to mix it up. And as we're reading through that book, and I encourage you, you know, take some time even this week, if you, if you have it, to, to read through some of Proverbs. Just pick some chapters and read through and see how many different topics come up. Because the book of Proverbs is intended to Tell us how to live life. Tell us how to navigate life as we're going through it day by day. And one moment we may be in a situation when we're dealing with one issue, and the next moment we may be dealing with something else. And so what I have done is pulled a bunch of the Proverbs together that talk about speech. And I want to cover a number of aspects of this this morning. Um, much of my work in preparing this sermon was taking the huge number of Proverbs on this topic and trying to whittle it down to some things that we could digest in one sermon. And so I encourage you 
to, uh, to read the book of Proverbs and, and look at all the different facets of life that it's covering. So what Proverbs is most often addressing is our, and, and this is why it's different than, than a lot of the Bible. It's, it's similar, but it addresses our relationship primarily with other people. Whereas so much of the Bible we think in terms of our, our relationship with God. Both the rest of the Bible will affirm that our relationship with God affects our relationship with others. The book of Proverbs is going to affirm that our relationships with others is going to be reflecting how our relationship is with God. But just from a practical standpoint, the book of Proverbs so uh, so much concerned with our human-human relations. And this, this topic of speech I highlight, just to you know, think for a moment, how much of our interactions with others um, comes down to the speech that we are making, talking, communicating to them. Obviously, our actions affect our, affect our relationship, and our actions are going to affect others. But this is going to highlight how much our speech, how important it is, how powerful it is, and how, how much care we should be putting into our words. So let me reread our passage, our Old Testament passage from Proverbs 25, and it was verses 11 to 15. And then, as I said, I'm going to kind of go out, branch out from here and, and, and try to touch on a number of things that I, I considered important for us to reflect on this morning. So let me reread 25:11 in Proverbs. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. These first couple of verses highlight how valuable the right word is. How valuable it is to be saying the right thing at the right time. That fitly spoken word. How important it is. How valuable it is in God's eyes. And if there's nothing else that we take away... Pausing and thinking about that. God cares so much about what we are saying. I'll talk more about that in some of our, in the things we are saying. Verse 13. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his master. So the one who is bringing the faithful message is going to refresh the soul of those who sent him. So the refreshing word, and we'll, we'll come back to that. Verse 14, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. Boasting as the type of speech that Proverbs is going to say, stay away from. And I'll say, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but the words to avoid are not what I'm going to be focusing on in the sermon. Instead, I'm going to be focusing on the words that we should be speaking. But we're reminded, and throughout the Proverbs, there are words and things that we should not be speaking. And boasting is one that is frowned upon. Verse 15. With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft or gentle tongue will break a bone. And so that's where I'm going to start with that last thought. Um, how powerful our words are. That it says, the gentle or soft tongue will break a bone. Do we recognize how powerful our words are? 
So for instance, we teach our children the saying, and I, I looked it up, this is centuries old, sticks and stones may break my bones. What? But words will never hurt me, right? Is that true? No. We teach that to our children as a defense mechanism. You can't hurt me with your words because we know actually how much words can hurt. I remember, and this goes back a long time, but unfortunately not long, long enough, back to my, a, a moment when I was in college where I can still remember this really coming home to me. So I was in college and hanging around with a, a group of guys, and we would routinely make one of those guys, one of our friends, bear the brunt of our words, making fun of him, mocking him a little bit. In my eyes, all, you know, in my mind, all good fun, but, but he was the one who kind of bore the brunt of some of our jokes and the way we spoke. And I remember, I thought nothing of it, right? It's all in good fun. And I remember to this day, the day whenever I, he and I were speaking, and I said something along those lines, uh, kind of putting him down a little bit, you know, making fun of something. And I remember him turning and looking at me and saying, why do you always say those things to me? And if he had punched me in the face, it wouldn't have had a bigger reaction. I was almost knocked down, and I was, what? Those things I'm saying to you actually matter to you. They actually care. You actually care. That actually affects you. And to my, uh, honestly, to my shame, it wasn't until that moment that it really sank into me, being a, you know, in college, how powerful my words could be and how much they could affect someone else. And I reflect back on that and I think how, how much foolishness and how much folly there was in my life before that in the way that I used my words, just not thinking that those words could actually affect others. And so as I, I am reminded of that whenever I, you know, I realize the power of my words, and this is something that, just like all of us, James says, I have not yet tamed my tongue, right? I would be perfect if I have done so. But it is that concern of, do I recognize how powerful my words are and that they can affect others? And like I said, that to come to that realization and then to, to think about okay, how, does this, how does this work in other areas of my life? Not just in the discouraging and the, the mocking words, but the encouraging words, the other things in the way I'm interacting. How our words are so powerful and affect others. All right. So at this point, I'm going to read some Proverbs from all over, all right? I'll mention some of these verses, and if you want to jot them down and look at them later, but I, I don't feel like, uh, you know, don't feel like you have to flip to every one of these with me, just because um, I'm going to try, to try to encapsulate a number of teachings from these Proverbs. All right, so the first thing that I want to highlight, and, and this is not something I'm going to spend a lot of time on, but what does the fool sound like, all right? Because the book of Proverbs again and again is contrasting what the wise person is doing. In our case, what the wise person is saying versus the fool. What is the fool saying? So, for instance, um, Proverbs 15.2 reads, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. 
Or another translation that, that I use sometimes says gushes folly. And that's kind of the, the picture that I get. The, the fool here is opening his mouth and the folly just gushes out and it's never stopping. A related one, Proverbs 18.2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And when I thought about this one, I thought how pertinent and how relevant it is for our day. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. It doesn't matter if I understand something, but only in expressing his opinion. I may not understand it, but I'm going to tell you what I think about it. And everyone can have an opinion. And this is true 3,000 years ago when these Proverbs are written, and it's, it's, it's true today. It happens to be the case that today we might have a bigger platform, each of us, if we're on social media or tweeting these things, or to say things that express an opinion even when we don't have knowledge. And that is the characteristic of the fool. The words come out, and they gush out, and they pour out, but there's nothing behind them. There's no understanding. There's just opinion. And something that I will return to at the end is kind of a challenge to us also. How many of those fools are we listening to? Because this is about our speech and what we're saying, but it also has implications on what we're listening to. So again, I don't want to spend a lot of time on what not to say or what the fool sounds like. Instead, I want to really reflect on some of the things that we should be saying. So I'll read just one verse on this, introduce a theme. Um, the Proverbs 31 woman. The Proverbs 31 woman is this wise woman who has mastered life to a great extent and is able to navigate life through wisdom. And one thing that it says about her in Proverbs 31, 26, is that this wise woman, this ideal wife, if you will, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. When we open our mouths, is wisdom on our lips? Because wisdom has been in our mind. Is that what we are speaking? And are we speaking it with kindness? That is the example that she sets, is this one who has mastered wisdom, who is um, experienced in these things. That idea of speaking with kindness is, again, something that I will return to. But I introduce that as I move to this, this next topic that I really want to highlight and spend some time on. So what I'm doing here is some of these things I'm just giving you a quick thought on. But what I hope to do in looking at a number of these Proverbs is help, to, help us to fill out our understanding, at least briefly, what Proverbs says about speech. So the idea of kindness being on our lips. Because the, one of these topics that I'm going to kind of pause over and reflect on for us is the topic of the rebuke or the one who reproves. We already saw it in the initial reading we did in 2512, uh, like, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Another translation has, a wise man's rebuke is like that ornament of fine gold. The rebuke. Another proverb that mentions this is Proverbs 28, 23. It reads, 
Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. So let's talk about the rebuke or the correction or the chastisement, the reproving, and how valuable and important that is to us. And remember, I just mentioned the, the, the wise woman would speak with kindness. So even in a rebuke, we could still speak with kindness. But what has the rebuke or even the, the criticism, what do we think about that? And I would really ask us to, to, to think about this, you know, do I like being corrected or rebuked? No, I don't. One, one example of where I am rebuked, and maybe you wouldn't use that big a term, but at the end of every semester after I teach a class, the students get to fill out a course evaluation. And so they get to anonymously tell me and my boss whether I'm doing a good job or not. And so sometimes these are hard to read. Um, sometimes, and I've talked to my colleagues about this, and occasionally it's that a student is just upset about his or her grade, or, and this is going to be their place to vent. All right? And there are some of these criticisms of how I've taught or, or, or how I have um, done the class that, you know, someone's going someone's to be upset all the time. I have to let some of those aside. But whenever I get someone who gives a thoughtful criticism, and I can remember back to even my early first years at teaching at Cairn, getting some feedback that was negative. And my first, my first response is always, no, I did it right, they're wrong. But again, as we reflect on this, do we recognize the value in someone there taking the time to give an honest evaluation and critique? We call it even, in its best case, the, the constructive criticism, right? constructive, someone wanting us to do better, and so they're willing to correct or critique or rebuke. And so there are times, and I have to, you know, it is, it is a difficult time to, to read through some of those evaluations sometimes, but I think there's value in it, in hearing that and saying, you know what, yes, I probably could be doing a better job, and maybe I need to take some of these critiques to heart, and what can I be doing differently? knowing that at least some of them are from the, from the right place and wanting it to be better for the next class that has me. In our day and age, I'm just observing our society, though, criticism and rebuke, are they valued? Are they rejected? So, for instance... If someone criticizes our country, does that mean they hate our country? Some people are saying that. To criticize our country is to hate our country. To criticize, and I'll get to this example in a moment, to criticize anything about the church is to side with the unbelievers who criticize. That criticism is what you do to the other side, not to our side, if you want to talk in terms. And so often the terms are put in, in that way. So let's look at the biblical examples. And I'm just going to talk through a couple of them that come to mind whenever I think about someone who is criticizing his own people. I'll start with Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah the prophet was ministering at the time when Jerusalem, 
Judah is about to go into exile, is about to be defeated by the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar. So as he is ministering in Jerusalem, he's saying things like, the Babylonians are coming, the Babylonians are going to defeat us. Some of them have already been taken into exile into Babylon. And what does Jeremiah say? The people who are already in Babylon are better off than us. Because we are about to feel God's judgment through the Babylonians. So how was Jeremiah treated by his people? His people said, oh, thank you, Jeremiah, for bringing us the word of God. We will listen to you. They did not. Read through the book of Jeremiah. See how many times people are trying to arrest him and throw him in a cistern, throw him in jail, trying to kill him. And they label him a traitor. Jeremiah, you are siding with the Babylonians over against your own people. Why did Jeremiah do that? Number one, because God sent him with that message of rebuke, of chastisement, saying, people of Jerusalem, of Judah, you need to repent or God is going to judge. He was labeled a traitor for that. In our days, he would have been called a hater. God sent him, not because God hated his people, but because God loves his people and wanted them to repent and to turn back to him. So you have this example of Jeremiah who is labeled a traitor to his own people because he rebuked them. If these people in Jeremiah's day were reflecting on these Proverbs we just read, they would say, wait a minute, we need to take this rebuke to heart. We need to think about this. Is there truth in this message? And they would have seen that, yes, there was. Someone else who comes to mind who was rebuking his own people because he loved them is Jesus himself. Read the Gospels. Um, Jesus often wasn't trying to make friends by the way he was speaking. He was trying to cut to the core of people's hearts and expose their sin. He was most critical of the religious people of his day. Critical of them because they did not care about the things that God cared. They did not care about the poor and the needy and those who were suffering. He labels them hypocrites. Not because he hated his own people, because he, like Jeremiah before him, was calling them to repentance, to hear his message, to turn back to God because he loved his people. And they crucified him for it. This is one that I think we need today as Christians and the church today here in America to think over very carefully. Do we recognize the value in rebuke and criticism? Constructive criticism is criticism nonetheless. I know whenever I speak to churches or Sunday school groups or classes, and sometimes I will be, I'll raise criticisms of the church in America today. And sometimes I get a reaction. Why are you siding with the enemy who would criticize the church, right? Why are you siding with the unbelievers, the atheists, who would give those same criticisms? And my answer is, maybe they're right sometimes. We don't like to hear that. Whenever, and, and what would our main critique be that we hear from outside? It's that we as Christians are hypocritical, 
The same rebuke that Jesus gave of the religious people of his day. And one response to that is to say simply, no, they're wrong. The other response to say, the other response to that is to say, why do they think we are hypocritical? Sometimes they're being unfair to us, and I can recognize that. But maybe it's because sometimes we are hypocritical. And if we think that that's impossible, then we are denying the fact that we are still sinners. Do we hear that? So as I raise those issues in, in the churches or wherever I'm speaking, sometimes I get pushback. You know, why are you, why are you siding with them? That's my job as one who stands up here and opens up the word. I'm not to, if I was just coming here and saying to the church, we're all fine, we're perfect, we're great, have a nice day, I haven't accomplished what I'm called to do. God's word is to correct us. It is to show us where we are wrong. So in some of those ways, are we willing to accept that type of criticism and even stop and ask, why do people think that of us? Maybe there's something to it. Maybe they're being unfair in places. I understand that. But this is something that we need to take to heart if we are going to be fulfilling our, you know, our calling as Christians to be lights to the world. Are we ready and willing to be corrected? I'll apply this to myself again. Um, and it's in the, in, in the area of my own words. All right. The one, uh, the person over the past 20 years who has corrected me the most is Jody, my wife, and rightly so, because she is the one who sees me most at my most um, honest and, you know, I'm not putting on, putting up, uh, you know, uh, any type of, I'm not on my, on my guard. I'm not being as careful. She sees who I really am. And in places, I am a sinner and need to be corrected. So here's one where, one place where she has um, called me out a number of times. And it would be in the way that I speak to our children. All right? So I'm the father. They're the children. And they're getting much bigger now. But, you know, think of my five-year-old Anna. Uh, that was nine years ago. And she did something wrong. So what am I going to do? I'm going to come to her, and in no uncertain terms, I am going to let her know how wrong she is, how bad she was, and how she needs to do differently. Do, and these are the consequences. Even with, I'm not talking about shouting and screaming or yelling or anything like that. It's just, I'm letting her know in no uncertain terms, she is wrong. And she better get that through her little head. Those type of words, you know. And so Jody might come to me afterwards and ask, you know, Brian... I know that Anna was wrong, right? But the way that you spoke to her, did you need to be that harsh with her? Could you have been a little more gentle? Would that have communicated even better? Did it really need to come out that way? Now, my reaction to Jody is, of course, that's exactly how I needed to say it. Jody, you're wrong. I said everything right to, to Anna. But if I'm honest and then I allow myself a little bit of time to reflect on that rebuke and that correction or that raising that issue, I will say, yeah, you know what, you're right. I could have been more kind and gentle in my even necessary correction. So what I said was the truth, but how I said it, could I have done that in a better way? And so that's something that, you know, even it's not that uh, in, in some cases I would have had to go and apologize to Anna, Anna. I, taught, I spoke to you much too harshly. I apologize. Um, will you forgive me? 
In other cases, it wasn't even, you know, necessarily we would say, oh, I, I was sinning in the way I was speaking. But was I speaking in the best way? And if we see what the Proverbs say, it's, I'm not just looking to do okay, or even I'm not just looking to avoid sin. I'm trying to say the right thing in the right way at the right time. So it's always an area that we can improve. And that's an area that I would say, you know, hopefully, as I speak to my children, um, I use wisdom. And I know even, you know, now that I, how well I know my children and my relationship with them, my two children, I would probably, if I needed to correct them, even speak to them somewhat differently. Because one might need a little more firmness, the other one might recognize it more quickly. What does that take? That's wisdom. How can I best communicate that message in that moment? That's what God is showing us through this great emphasis here in the book of Proverbs on how we are speaking and how important it is and how powerful our speech is. So let me turn that around to another area where we need to be speaking, and that's the area of encouragement and healing. I'm going to read a couple of Proverbs on this topic and talk about this then. So Proverbs 12, 18. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. People can hurt us with their words. And some people who speak rashly to us hurt us. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. How powerful our words can be, not just to hurt and to damage, and that is the case, but how powerful our words are to bring healing. Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. And this to me is profound because the tree of life, if we're familiar with the tree of life, it appears in Genesis 2 and 3 in the Garden of Eden, right? Where they had access, Adam and Eve did, to the tree of life that if they could eat that, they could have lived forever. But then they're cast out of the garden. And we don't see that tree of life again until we get to Revelation 22 in the new heavens and new earth. The tree of life is growing, bearing fruit for the healing of the nations, it says. Those are the only times this tree of life is pictured in the Bible except for one other place. The book of Proverbs mentions explicitly the tree of life, and in this context, it mentions it a few times in this similar way, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. This life-giving, healing entity, the tree of life that is found at either end of our Bible, we don't have direct access to it right now. What we have is a gentle tongue that can bring healing. So the gentle tongue is likened to the tree of life. That, to me, is just even raising, raising the, the level here of how important our tongue is. That that type of encouraging word, gentle word, kind word, and the effect that can, it can have is a, is a healing force that we actually have at our disposal. What do we think about gentleness of speech today? To speak kindly and gently is often seen as a sign of weakness. And the one who speaks loudest and is the harshest and brashest speaker 
we tend to think, oh, that's the sign of strength. The Bible says exactly the opposite. The gentle, kind word is the most profound and powerful and important word. Whenever I think of encouragement, one of my colleagues comes to mind, and he, I remember this, and I've worked with him for eight or nine years, it's not like he's coming every day and saying this, but I remember now, I can think back a number of times when he's just come up to me, just my colleague, uh, you know, another professor, and saying, thank you so much for the hard work that you're putting in. I want to encourage you and the feedback that I'm hearing from some of your students about me. And I, I, I don't think, my natural tendency, I don't think I need a lot of encouragement. You know, I kind of do my job, I do, I, I don't need someone telling me all the time, good job, keep going. I've, God has given me kind of a natural built-in motivation that I'm going to do it well. So I don't even think that I need those encouraging words, but when I hear them, and I can remember and think back to this colleague a number of times saying those things, and it just struck me, wow, how powerful and how um, encouraging that is that he chose to say that to me. One of the things we, it was mentioned in one of these verses uh, another type of encouraging word would, or, or praise would be flattery, and we need to make sure we're not doing that. Flattery would be, he would be telling me these really nice things because he wanted something from me. That is not the case. He's not going to get anything from me. I'm not his boss. I'm not going to be able to help him out. You know, he, he's not looking for anything when he says that. It is the pure encouraging word and how valuable that is. And, and, and really, that reminds me. What does it remind me every time I'm thinking about these Proverbs, and, and I've spoken and taught on this, this topic of speech many times, it's, you know what, I don't, like I just said, I don't necessarily need or think that I need the encouraging word. And so I tend to think, well, maybe no one else needs the encouraging word as well. But I'm reminded by these Proverbs that I need to be, you know, I need to be conscious that can I be an encouragement to others? How how little I would have to invest just to, to, to take the time and be thoughtful, and, and I could be doing this more, and encouraging others, and realizing that that's what God wants for us. Whenever we see something, we can encourage, and what does that also allow? They're hearing our encouragement, and then when we might need to correct, we might need to call them out, they know that we are on their side, that we want what is best for them. The last thing I want to do now is turn to one more, one more proverb which has the implication of this. So I'm going to be in Proverbs 22, 17, and 18 for my closing thoughts. Proverbs 22, 17, and 18. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. Hear the words of the wise. So now it's not just what we're saying, it's who are we listening to? Are we listening to the words of the wise? Apply your heart to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, those words of the wise, if all of them are ready on your lips. Who are we listening to as Christians today? This is one of my greatest concerns as I interact with Christians at different churches in my classes. Who are we listening to? So I'll take a moment, and I haven't talked about it yet, 
to, to apply this in terms of our election that we are in the midst of still even, right? The results. Who are we listening to about these things? So for instance, let me make some statements in it for you to consider. If people are telling us that the fate or the future of the kingdom of God depends on the outcome of our current election, they're not speaking the Bible to us. Let me say it again. If, if people are telling us that the outcome of this election, on it depends the fate of the kingdom of God, they're not speaking biblically to us. Because, I want to make clear, the United States of America is not the kingdom of God. If we think that we need one of these particular presidential candidates that we've been deciding between as a nation, if, we need to, if we're told that one of them has to prevail for God's kingdom to advance, then we are not thinking biblically. If we think of one of them as our potential savior, we are not thinking biblically. And voices are telling us these things, just to be clear. They are saying these things to us and trying to get us to think in a way that does not line up with the Bible when we put so much emphasis and so much importance on one election, in one nation, in one year of the, the church's 2,000-year history. Um, the kingdom of God is going to outlast our two political parties. Whether they just go into oblivion through the passing of time or the return of our Lord, the kingdom of God is going to outlast the United States of America. The kingdom of God was doing, I mean, if I can say this, quite well for 1,700 years before the United States of America existed. So what, I'm, what am I encouraging us? Let's make sure we have a little bit of biblical perspective on these things. When we say the fate of everything rests on the decision that we made this week as a nation, no, it does not. We as the church must persevere no matter who is president, no matter what country we live in, no matter what the, the circumstances are surrounding us, we have a clear calling and nothing changes. We are to shine as lights in this dark world, to be representatives as the body of Christ that others would see us and come to know him. And I am very concerned with the voices that we are listening to as Christians today in our, in our setting, what they are telling us and how much stock we are putting in voices that are defined by the Bible as foolish. Are we listening to fools? How about this? All of us are listening to fools one way or another. We need to think more carefully. How much stock am I putting into what this person says or that person says? Because not all of them are speaking the truth of the word of God to us. Recognizing how important our words are, and by implication then, how important is the words that we choose to take to heart? Let us be a wise and discerning people that we might seek God's wisdom and his wisdom alone. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be working in each of our hearts and our minds to let us know and help us to understand where our words need to change, where our words need to match up even better with your words and what you would have us say. I pray as we as a people listen to voices, give us insight, 
give us discernment that we might be able to choose between the wise and the foolish words that we are hearing, that we might accept those wise words, that they would be in our heart, that they would be in our mind, so that they also would be on our lips. I pray this in Jesus' name.